0: So we had some trouble with the, uh, the microphones last week. Jay Saragian has analyzed the situation and he says it's cell phone interference. Okay. (laughs) Self, cell phone interference. Alright, so if you want to, uh, if you want to be helpful to me, then to yourselves, you can put your phones in your car, which would probably be the best way to take a Sabbath from, from your device. Take a Sabbath for one hour. I know that's very scary. Teen Challenge has a program for this to actually help you detach and detox from your phone. One option. The other option is you put it in airplane mode. Okay? So let us join our hearts together in prayer. Eternal Father, you are the author and the creator of life. Our lives come from you even as one day they will return to you. We pray that we might honor and protect all life as a gift from you. We pray that we might steward our own lives for your glory. Lord Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life you endure, humiliation and death, so that we might know glory and life. We thank you for giving us new life, and we ask that you receive our submitted lives as a living sacrifice for you. Holy Spirit, Spirit of life, it is by your power that we are set free from the law of sin and death. All of the benefits of our lives in Christ come through you. We ask that you would fill us with power and with holiness. We ask that your light and life would drive out all darkness and death. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we worship you today. And we confess that while you offer us nothing but perfection, we are so often distracted by second best. While you invite us to enjoy life and life abundant, we often settle for cheap imitations. Forgive us our idolatry, break the power of sin in our lives, mold us and shape us for your glory, for service in your kingdom. We pray for those of our number who are unable, because of health, to be in church this morning. For Gloria George and for Millie Ivins and for Ruth Marcucci and Wilma Stiles, for Dick Turner and for Dorothy Young. We pray that you minister to them in a special way this hour. God of grace and God of comfort, we pray that you open our eyes to the people that you want us to serve, members of our family who need our care, strangers to whom we can offer kindness, needs in our neighborhoods that we have the resources to meet. Wherever we go, let us be your hands and your feet and your laughter and your joy. These prayers we offer in the name of Jesus, who taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power And the glory forever. Amen. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John chapter 14. I will read the first three verses. Hear the word of God. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Lord God, we ask that as we come to your holy scriptures, that we might do so with delight and with a willingness to be surprised. I pray that our preconceptions do not block our ears to what you have to say to us today. Speak your word so that we might be remade. Amen. Both of our readings this morning are responses to really tough situations in the gospel of john our new testament reading jesus has just told the disciples that he's going to leave them that they can't follow him that one of the 12 and they're not quite sure who it's going to be will betray him and that peter will deny jesus three times before the morning And then, right on the heels of all of this devastating news, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. In the book of Job, our Old Testament reading, all of Job's family has been killed. All of Job's property has been destroyed. Job himself is sick as a dog, wishing that he would die. He's covered from head to foot in painful skin boils. And then to add insult to injury, three of Job's friends come around, theologians, every one of them, to tell him that if he's suffering so much, it must be cause, it must be because he is such a great sinner. And maybe he needs to get right with God. In the aftermath of so much death and destruction, in the wake of the unrelenting sophistry of his friends, Job declares, I know that my Redeemer lives. Some of you are old enough (coughs) to have attended plenty of funerals. Others of you are still too young to have had the wake-up call that loss and death come to all of us. I've preached more than 60 funerals since I've been your pastor, and this morning I'm going to preach another one. Now some of you are thinking, oh no, the one Sunday that I come to church and the darn pastor's going to be preaching a funeral, you know, I come to church for a little pick me up to get me through the week, and what I'm going to get is death and gloom, maybe it's not too late to slip out the door and go down to glory a day. A funeral is like a Rorschach inkblot test. Our individual reaction tells us more about ourselves than about the funeral. And how a family deals with a death is also very revealing. A healthy family pulls together and can be quite wonderful during times of loss. While a dysfunctional family at a funeral can be a hot mess. Talking about death and funerals makes a lot of sense in a church, actually, even if you were hoping for a sermon from the sunny side of the street this morning. Lots of people who never attend church turn to the church when a loved one dies, For some people, the only reason they show up in church is for a wedding or for a funeral. So for many people outside of the church, the Christian faith is understood as having something to do with or something to say about death. And that certainly is the case. The precipitating event of the Christian faith is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The Apostles' Creed The church's earliest summary of what it believes, a mere 75 words in Latin, mentions death and resurrection five times. There really is no way to think about the Christian faith without thinking about death. Not because we're gloomy people, but because the founder of our faith, Jesus Christ, died and then came back to life. And he promised that the same thing was going to happen to us unless the Lord comes first all of us will die one day and if we have a nice family we might even get a funeral so this morning I want to talk about death and life after death by breaking this subject into a few topics for you note takers those topics will be number one we are eternal we are eternal number two One day, we will have an eternal body. Number three, our eternal home is not heaven. And number four, you will never be angels. Okay, There are other topics we could cover, like will we have pets in the afterlife? Or will we sing hymns or praise choruses in heaven? But I will leave that for another time. So let's begin. Number one, we are eternal. I think children somehow know this, that they are eternal. When death comes, it comes as a shock, as an intrusion. Though death is common, death never feels natural. It seems like a violation of what should be. And that's because God created us. And His plan for us was that we would be eternal In the same way that he is eternal. I think all of us are familiar with that part of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Where the preacher says, to everything there is a season. And a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born. A time to die. A time to plant. A time to pluck up. A time to kill. And a time to heal. A time to weep. And a time to laugh. And so on and so on. After that litany of the times of our lives. The preacher then goes on to say, quote... God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of people, yet they cannot fathom what the Father has done from beginning to end. Now that's a very interesting observation. God has also set eternity into the hearts of people, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We have a sense of eternity... In our inmost being, we have a taste, a longing, an appetite for eternity, but we cannot fathom, we cannot understand eternity. We're in a funny intermediate stage of knowledge here. We know that there is this thing, eternity, but we don't comprehend it. Our hearts know eternity, but our minds just can't grasp it. Now, I'm always wary of analogies, but let me offer you an analogy which I think is logically compelling. Uh, It's also an analogy that has a very long history uh, in the church reaching all the way back to St. Augustine. Our knowledge of eternity is like a nursing child's knowledge of his mother's breast, The nursing child doesn't understand nutrition and chemistry, but that child, when it's hungry, unfailingly turns to its mother, finds what it's looking for, and latches on for dear life. The child was made, designed, for its mother's milk. It's part of God's purpose. It's built in. We don't have to teach it. And though the child doesn't understand it, Its hunger for his mother's milk is trustworthy, and it is true. So it is with eternity. We were made for eternity. It is part of God's design. It is built into us. We don't have to learn about it in Sunday school. We already know it. And though we don't understand eternity, our longing for God's eternity is trustworthy and true. Let me say that again. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. Our longing for God's eternity is trustworthy and it is true. Amy Lou Harris has a song called The Pearl, which has this wise verse in it. We are aging soldiers in an ancient war, seeking out some half-remembered shore. We drink our fill and still we thirst for more, asking If there's no heaven, what is this hunger for? We long for God's eternity because God created us for eternity. Just like we long for mother's milk because God created us for mother's milk. God didn't create this longing for eternity in a perverse wish to torment us or to tantalize us with something that we can't have. In the same way that he gave us a longing for food so that we might be nourished. He gives us a longing for eternity so that we might be with him. So what about our bodies? If we're made for eternity, why do we have these bodies that die? Death is the separation of the soul and the body. The body goes one way and the soul goes the other. The body turns to dust but the soul goes on. For those who are in Christ, the soul flies immediately to heaven to be in the presence of God. In 2 Corinthians 5, 8, Paul says that he would prefer to be away from the body and to be at home with the Lord. In other words, when he dies, he goes to be with the Lord immediately. Jesus speaking to the repentant thief on the cross says to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. Not his body, of course. The body of Jesus and the body of the thief the next day is going to be in the cold, cold ground. But the soul of the believer flies to heaven. So yes, our bodies are corruptible. Our bodies are prone to death and rot even while the soul lives on. And that brings me to my second point. We will have eternal bodies. One day we will have eternal bodies. One day we will have bodies that are incorruptible, bodies that do not die, bodies that do not rot. It is really important to understand that we will not spend eternity as disembodied spirits floating around in some ghostly spiritual world. We will have bodies, eternal bodies. Yes, there is a brief time when dead people will be separated from the bodies. But the day is coming soon when not only will our souls be eternal, but also our bodies and our eternal souls and our incorruptible bodies will be united. On the day of resurrection, our bodies will be reconstituted. They will come back together and they will start to live again. These resurrected bodies will be glorified. We don't understand what that means. And those bodies will never die. On the day of resurrection, we will become full human beings again, body and soul together, living in bodies that have the form that God intended from the beginning, bodies undamaged by sin and the fall. In these bodies, there will be no sickness or death or weakness or pain. All of the parts will work the way that they're supposed to work. In our Old Testament reading from Job this morning, we see the concrete physical nature of the resurrection. Don't think of the resurrection as a spiritual event. It is a physical event. Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. Job, of course, doesn't know that that Redeemer's name will be Jesus, but he knows that his Redeemer is coming as clearly as a child knows to turn to his mother's breast. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. Here. Not in some spirit land. Oh yeah, the Redeemer is coming to earth. He's going to stand on the ground. Job isn't talking about some far away, stuck in heaven kind of Redeemer. His Redeemer is coming to planet Earth, and then He says, After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I will see Him with my own eyes. This is important. After our bodies die and the worms eat us, we will still see God. With our flesh and with our eyes. Job isn't talking about some kind of spiritual vision of God. He's talking about seeing eyes with his retina. And his lens. And his cornea. That's called resurrection. The body turned to dust. But then raised up. Reconstituted. And we will see God. We will see our Redeemer with our eyes. With fleshly eyes. Now, one of the things that's important to understand about bodies, unlike souls, is that bodies exist in space and in time. Souls might exist in time, I'm not sure, but they certainly don't exist in space. Bodies exist in time and space. And we will be doing stuff in our resurrected bodies. I suspect that we will have jobs in eternity. I will probably be running a small used bookstore. (laughs) Why not? People are gonna be reading in heaven. Good books. When God created us initially, he put us into a garden to tend. We had a job to do. God made us with work. He made us for work. Eternity will not be one long, boring retirement. We're going to be doing important stuff, interesting work. We're going to be doing this work as fully human, eternal, in our reconstituted and glorified, resurrected bodies. Jesus is the first human to be resurrected He was dead, and then he was resurrected. And now he's fully human, with a united body and soul, a body that cannot die again. Yes, of course, he's still fully divine, but let's not forget his full humanity. Let's not forget that he's the first fruit of the general resurrection that is still to come. Just as Jesus was resurrected, we too will be resurrected. Now, I don't think it will be as fun for us As it was for Jesus because when we're resurrected, everyone else is also going to be resurrected at the same time and so it's not going to be such a big deal. I think Jesus had a ball when he was resurrected because no one was expecting it and so he would just show up. He would walk through a wall. People would be very surprised. They'd be freaked out. For us, it won't be so interesting. You'll meet me on the other side of the resurrection. No big deal, no huge surprise because we'll all have been resurrected. You'll say, hey, Pastor Dan, it's good to see you again. I almost didn't recognize you with hair. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We will know each other in eternity. The Bible is crystal clear about this. People in heaven... And people in hell will recognize each other. In the story of the transfiguration in Luke chapter 9, Elijah and Moses, who died centuries apart, knew each other. And the three disciples who were there to witness the event also knew who they were, though they had never met them before. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells the story of Lazarus, the poor beggar. He's in heaven, and then there's the stingy rich man who's in hell. They knew each other in life, and guess what? They also know each other in the afterlife. So it's going to be fun because we will know each other, and we will spend eternity with each other. Point number three, heaven is not our eternal home. Now this comes as a surprise to some people. But the Bible is pretty clear about this. And if you want to check up on me, and you should always be willing to check up on your pastor, I am not a priest, I'm a pastor, be sure to read Revelations chapter 21 and chapter 22. In those two chapters, we read about the new heaven and the new earth. And we read about a beautiful city called New Jerusalem coming out of heaven and settling on the new earth. And there in that city, all of the resurrected saints are gathered and God lives with his light filling the entire earth. Revelations 21.3 says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God will himself will be with them as their God. Our final destination is the new Jerusalem, which is a physical city. With physical streets and physical trees and physical houses and a physical river. And that city will be on a physical planet with a sky and wind and gravity and rocks and water. Ghosts with harps and wings floating around on clouds. That's nonsense. It's not what the Bible says. Our new home will be a perfected version of this home. It will be earth without war, without hate, without hunger, without cruelty, without pain, without death. The Bible tells us that the saints will live eternally in physical bodies, in a physical city where God is also present. Yes, the redeemed who die go to heaven. But that heaven is just a kind of way station, a rest stop on the way to the new Jerusalem. Once the resurrection comes... The souls that are in heaven will be united with resurrected glorified bodies and the eternal party will begin in the new Jerusalem. Our mortal lives are sweet and rich and good, that is for sure. But the sweetness of our lives is always mixed with bitterness. Our lives are always tempered by death. But in the world to come, We get nothing but the good without any of the bad. Revelation 21 4 says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. I don't know about you. But I'm signing up for that. Finally. We will never be angels. I know this comes as a shock and a disappointment to some of you that you will never get to be an angel. If you go to heaven, you won't be an angel. If you live eternally in the New Jerusalem, you won't be an angel. And what might be even more devastating for some of you who get your theology from Oprah, this also means that your beloved grandfather... And your saintly grandmother who passed away and are dearly missed, they aren't angels either and they're not sitting around in heaven watching out for you. If they're in heaven, they're busy. They're busy being flabbergasted and overwhelmed at the wonder of seeing God. And they're not playing at being your guardian angel. You have guardian angels. They're not playing at being your guardian angel because they are totally focused on God and they're worshiping and singing holy, 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 holy. So why don't we get to be angels when we go to heaven? Well, for the same reasons we don't get to be beavers when we go to heaven. Angels and humans, beavers and humans, they're just different species. Okay? They're just different. So you you don't change from one to the other. Yes, we will see angels in heaven. But I'm sorry to disappoint you. If you thought you were going to be an angel in heaven, it's not going to happen. Jesus is just hours away from his own death. He's going to cross over through death. He knows the horror that's coming. He's going to die in a horrible way. With the sin and the rebellion and the filth and the hate of this world heaped on him. So that we might be set free and redeemed. He's going to his own death. And he says to the remaining eleven. Remember Judas has already gone out into the night. To seal his own fate. And to seal the fate of Jesus. Jesus says to the remaining eleven. To those who are redeemed. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. I hate death. I hate watching people fall apart and go away. I hate funerals. I hate seeing people grieve and Feel the loss. in 1 Corinthians 1526 Paul calls death the last enemy to be destroyed and that's what it is. Death is the enemy. Death is the enemy of life. Death steals and destroys the beauty of God's world. Death is contrary to God's will. I hate death and that's why I rejoice that death will be defeated. Death does not have the last word. Christ died and he rose again. And he defeated death so that death must die so that we can live eternally. Jesus went to his death fully aware of what lay ahead. He went to his death with a troubled heart. But he went to his death to destroy death and to open up a way to eternal life through his own body. I go to prepare a place for you. He's making up our room. Though it cost him his own life, he made a place for us so that we could be with him. Always, always, always. Do you get it? Death is the illusion that Jesus smashes. And on the other side of death, if we are in Christ, there is nothing but endless life. For us, death can be a very troubling passage. It can be a fearful transition. But the more securely we rest in this rock-solid truth, that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that Jesus has overcome death and the grave, the more securely we rest on that rock-solid truth of the gospel, the more Peacefully, we endure the transition that we all one day will face. Friends, hear and believe the good news of the gospel. I know that my Redeemer lives. And though my flesh rots away in the grave, I will see Him with my eyes. I will see Jesus with my eyes. I will see Him in the resurrected flesh. And I will go to be with Him into a place that He has prepared for me, a house with many rooms, because there will be so many people there. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, and whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In Romans 10, 9, the apostle Paul tells us, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you believe that? Then let me hear you say it. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He has made a place for us. He is waiting for us. He will receive us. He has prepared the way for us. He is the way, the truth, and the everlasting life. All glory and honor and praise be to Him now and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we honor You and we adore You and we bless Your name. Thank you for the truths of Scripture, and we thank you that you loved us enough to make this world for us, and that you're going to make a new world for us, even better than this one, and that we're going to be there with you forever. Lord Jesus, give us the faith to cling to that truth. Give us the faith to cling to the cross. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you all to now stand. That includes you. We're gonna use the words of the Apostles Creed to confess what the church has believed since the beginning. The words are here, they will magically <coughs> appear on the screen above. Please join me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Please remain standing as we sing.